Okay, good. Well, uh, I'm, um, <clears throat> I've been praying about this message probably, I mean, I pray about all the messages, more than, but more than most. We're going to be having some fun today talking about parenting, and at least I think I'm going to have some fun. Um, we'll see where it goes, but you know, Proverbs, we're going to start with a proverb I chose uh, out of chapter 7, verse 2 today. Do what I say, and you'll live well. My teaching is as precious as your eyesight. Guard it. Wow, I take my eyesight pretty seriously. So today we're in part three of building a family. Um, today is, is raising kids God's way. And uh, the, the text today will be in the book of Deuteronomy. But we've been basing the series on Psalm 127 that says that um, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So the same thing goes true with a family as well as, as, uh, as, as the other parts of uh, building a household, a, a family. So um, today's, today's message is going to probably be a little bit controversial for you. Because we're going to talk about God's way of, of raising a family, and it's probably not the way you're doing it. <laughs> I only say that because Scripture tells us that God's ways are not man's ways. God's ways are not man's ways. So if you just kind of let that fact settle down into your soul for a minute, God has a way of doing things, and it's just completely different than the way that we would approach things, uh, the way that we would um, try different things. And if you, have you ever heard the term set in his ways? God is absolutely set in his ways. <laughs> Hebrews 13.8, it's up there on the wall, and sometimes kids memorize that one because it helps them. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is very set. You know, you don't have to, when you do things perfectly, you don't have to reevaluate and make a lot of changes to how you do things, right? So it makes sense that God doesn't change. And, um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he doesn't, things that he's doing they don't come up for review. He doesn't debrief himself and say, you know, how could that have been improved? God's got things squared away, and he's been doing things the right way perfectly for a very, very long time. And um, Malachi 3 says, for I'm the Lord, and I do not change. If you have any questions about this, God doesn't change. And he has a certain way of doing things. Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, my ways, says the Lord. He says, I've got a different way of thinking. Now, the things I'm going to say to you today are built on that fact, that God thinks differently and his ways are different than ours. We can learn them. Um, but he's a, he says, you know, I've got a totally different way of doing things than you people. I've got a totally different way of thinking about things than you do. And so it's just, I'm a whole lot different than you are. Here's an example. How to get to heaven right? I mean, God does that differently than we would if it was up to us. If we were in charge of getting to heaven, we'd say, hey, that's a pretty big deal. We need to earn that. We need to make it hard and difficult so that the, the, the cost of doing it is worth the goal, and we would make it hard. God doesn't think about it that way. God thinks it's already impossible. I don't want to make it harder for people. I actually want to make a way possible for people. I'm going to make a pathway for people to get to heaven. And uh, so he goes about doing the hard part himself. He makes a way for us. Lots of examples. But God just does things differently than we do. Okay, so far? Okay. <laughs> and notice also, if I continue in that passage in Isaiah, not just different, but better. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The idea here is, is that it's not just different. His ways are better than our ways. It's like kind of like our ways, they're not good. They don't, you know, they stink. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's one way of saying it. I mean, he's saying your, your ways can't touch my ways. You know, you, <laughs> you know I'm going to deal there. I'm not going to start rapping. Can't touch this. Okay. Um, <laughs> your ways are lame compared to my ways. God's ways are higher. And you can study out that, that word higher and you'll find out that it, we're not really a close second. Higher. As high as the heavens are above the earth, higher. Higher than our ways. So, okay, I want to build on that. So God's ways are not my ways. Here's the second thing. Man's ways of raising kids are not God's ways. Because mankind, you know, we, we do have our own way of raising kids. You know, we get this idea about how to do it. And the thing is that that's just not the Lord's way. So far we know our ways are not his ways. Now, I know that the approach to parenting your children 
is a very carefully and closely guarded right. I know I'm on <laughs> thin ice right now. I mean, the, how we raise our kids, we guard the right. Don't tell me how to raise my kids. And as a grandparent, I'm mindful of the fact that I have certain influence in how my children would raise their kids. But they're their children to raise, not mine. And I'm careful not to violate that. I'm pretty careful. I'm probably not as careful as I think I am. <laughs> but, but it's a very fiercely guarded right. And so, I mean, I think we come up with a philosophy for how we're supposed to raise kids. What's the right way to raise our kids? And we build a philosophy based on all kinds of different sources, the experiences that we have when we're growing up, how our parents raised us. We either loved it or we didn't like it. And I'm, I'll never do that. Or I'm always be remembered to do this. We think of, we read books there are magazine articles. Um, we come up with all kinds of examples of people who maybe can speak, um, can somehow speak into our lives. Maybe we take as our examples as parents people that we see in media. You know, Homer Simpson or Archie Bunker or you know, Oprah or the cast for Friends or um, Ward and June Cleaver or Claire Huxtable or Charles and Carolyn Ingalls. As a winner, okay. You know, fair warning. I mean, I, I want to tell you that all of those people don't parent their children the way God does. But I want to say this to you about this. Even though you are doing your best and many, maybe you're doing a great job, the Lord takes the topic of parenting every bit as seriously as you do. He loves that your kids just like you do, more even. So here's some fair warning about today. <laughs> I feel like this is going to protect me, right? I give you, here's a disclosure. Fair warning is that um, you might love what you hear today, but there's a, every p- bit of possibility here that this might chafe a little bit um, because our ways aren't God's ways. And so if I insult you, I want you to know I'm going to try and insult everybody equally. <laughs> so now I, would ask, I do want to ask you this, though. As we go into some of this material, it could be a little challenging, and um, so I'm going to ask you to keep your seatbelts on and stay with me for the whole ride. This is a long message, um, not because I'm long-winded. That could be true, <laughs> but I really didn't feel like I could cut this mis- message in half because of where it would leave us on the topic. We've got to get all the way through it, so keep your seatbelts on and go with me for the whole time. Can we, don't jump off. You never jump off a roller coaster in the middle, right? It's not safe to do that. Okay, so um, and I did a little research um, over the, uh, to see what, what are the philosophies of parenting that have been predominant in our culture over the last, say, 100 years or so, okay? And it's kind of an interesting study. If you want to take a look, um, there have been a lot of philosophies. Here's how you should raise kids. They've, they've come and they've gone. And I think that we have adopted a lot of these philosophies. You might recognize some of these. Okay, so in the first half of the 1900s, there was a, a psychologist who was the, the, the guru, so to speak. His name was John Watson, Dr. John Watson. And he um, wrote prolifically on, on parenting. And um, he taught very rigid authoritarian um, parenting. I'm going to read to you a couple of sentences about it out of one of his most bestseller books. This was in the mid, about 1920s, approximately. Let your behavior always be objective and kindly firm. Never hug and kiss them. Never let them sit on your lap. If you must, kiss them once on the forehead when they say goodnight. Shake hands with them in the morning. This was a philosophy. This was the philosophy adopted by culture. Give them a pat on the head if they've made an extraordinarily good job of a difficult task. Child was not to be coddled or loved because you would foster in them too much dependence upon you and they would never grow up. That was the philosophy. And our culture adopted it. You know, it was the worst thing you could do. And uh, I'll read a little bit more. And, and also to ensure that children would be independent of any one adult's love and affection, parents should bring different nurses into their homes on a weekly basis. Okay. So um, this produced outward conformity. Kids would line up to the whistle, right? But inside there, there, there was in, inward hostility. You grew up with a mom and dad who were like generals, um, and, and, and they got it on the outside, but inside they were angry. Okay, by about the middle part of the last century, late 50s, early 60s, that was really um, 
falling out of favor, and the pendulum swung, and it w- d- d- did what pendulums do. It went all the way across. And many, maybe of you know the name Spock, not the Star Trek one, but the Dr. Benjamin one, right? And he wrote a runaway bestseller that for decades, parents bought this book, Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care, and uh, he taught a very, very permissive form of parenting, People were just eating that up, you know. Um, love your kids. Love them, love them, love them. Love them. Do whatever it is to love. Make sure that, you know, above all else, you don't ever frustrate your kids. Don't make them do anything they don't want to do. Just don't frustrate them. And, and his, his philosophy was, was disastrous, really, because it produced a generation of self-control demanding people who are all here worshiping today, <laughs> of which I'm one, Okay. I mean, but it did. That pendulum swung way, way, like they do, way, way out of balance. And um, that went, uh, kind of went out the window in the late 70s or the early 80s. Um, a guy named Dr. Eric Byrne come, came up with an idea called transactional analysis. And this was such a compelling idea that even Dr. Spock jumped on board this bandwagon. And um, it, you know, this, this guy that came up with this... Uh, he was a trained, uh, trained psychiatrist, but um, you know I don't know how much of an authority on raising kids and family. He was married three times, and all three of his marriages ended in terrible, acrimonious divorces. A lot of fighting, a lot of destruction there. But his philosophy was very ego-centered. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. And you might have even read a book that was based on this philosophy, I'm okay, you're okay, called that. Um, you know, it, it, it's just not that big a deal. Let's just lighten up, you know. Um, do whatever seems best to you. There's no real absolute standards. There's no real clear defining of right and wrong, no real guide about how to build our lives. And that produced, the byproduct of that was a generation um, with a lot of confusion because there was no definition of direction and a lot of apathy. And, um, and then into the late 90s, that evolved even more, and um, the idea became being promoted, the, the empty philosophy that, that the world came up with at that point was a very, very new age version of focusing on self-esteem. Self-esteem is the most important thing. Listen to that, whatever is within you, whatever is right for you, because how you feel about yourself is the most important thing. And... Um, to do that, parents were taught, don't ever give your kids any negative messages. Every kid on the baseball team gets a trophy, no matter if the team lost everything every time. You know, it's a participation trophy, but we want all of the kids to feel like they were Mickey Mantle, right? You know who Mickey Mantle is? Yeah, come on. Mickey Mantle. Number seven, Yankees, okay, but what can you do? Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, sorry, I said Yankees in church. That's like cussing around here. So you would just never give your kids any negative feedback. You're always building their esteem, building their esteem. And uh, you only funnel this perspective of, you know, and, 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 and that generation becomes unprepared to deal with a world that doesn't give a rip about their esteem. Really. They, 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 they grow up thinking that everything is about their esteem, but then they get into the real world, and it's a shock. They're not prepared for it. And the parenting advice that the world has is not slowing down. There's a, um, um, I don't know who these people are, called Bowker's Books in Print Database. They keep track of all of the books. They try to keep track of all the books that are in print out there, and uh, you can study what's out there. Books that were published in 2007 on the topic of parenting, about 2,800 new books in 2007. In 2011, 3,500 new books. And now it's close to between four and 5,000 new books on parenting every year. Right now today, there are probably tens of thousands of books you can buy telling you how to be a good parent. The world's got lots and lots of ideas. And I understand why people are wrestling with this topic. They, won't, they love their kids. You can't fault people for trying to figure out how to best raise our kids. But here's a tragedy, in my view. The tragedy is, is here we are, these people who have this absolutely trustable, respectable stack of information about how to raise kids. And instead of going there, 
when we rush off to some other source of people who don't know God, they don't know his loving heart, they, they don't understand the principles, and we go to them for advice about how to raise kids instead. It's a, it's a bad idea. So I just remind you once, one more time, man's ways of raising kids are not our ways. They're not God's ways. That's no, not too late for anybody, <laughs> ever. So um, Haggai, it says, here are two verses from Haggai, um, um, chapter 1, verse 5, says this, Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Those of you who are parents, or you're maybe not a parent, but you have significant influence, I, I think this is probably true of every one of you. You have some influence somewhere with people who are parenting at, any, at some stage in life. Would you be willing to consider your ways? Would you be willing to think through, okay, I think I have this squared away, but maybe it's time for me just to really find out, do I really, am I doing it God's way? Now, I'm not challenging your heart. Please don't hear me standing up and telling you, you're terrible people, you're terrible, your heart's not right. I am not challenging your heart. And I'm not questioning whether you love your kids or, um, or, or whether you're doing your best. But maybe somewhere in there, Worldly philosophy has seeped into the process somehow, maybe. Psalm 119 says, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. The psalmist is saying, I, I, it's like saying I was in church and I was going along my merry way, feeling pretty good, but then I realized that maybe I need to um, see what it is that the Lord would want me to do. And here's the next thing that I want to share with you today. Number three. God's way of raising kids is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So our text today, and this is probably one of the primary Old Testament passages on parenting, I think it's one of the best ones, is going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to see a four-step process um, of, of how the Lord would shape the will and the spirit of his kids. And it's transferable to us as parents, a four-step process. So buckle up, here we go. Deuteronomy 6, uh, chapter, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. So, okay, so what's going on here is, is God has, has got the children of Israel, they're just about to cross over, a couple million of them, are about to cross over the river into the promised land, and God's saying, hey, before we get in there, let's kind of talk about this and set some ground rules. Okay. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So here's the first thing we have here. God's process for shaping uh, shaping his own. For God's process to shape his little ones. Number one, the first one here, the foundation is fear. Fear. Foundation is fear. A lot of people would tell you that to raise kids, the foundation is love. They'd say that the place you start with with your kids is they've got to know that they're loved. Now, unapologetically, I'm going to stand up here in front of you today and tell you that's not what the Word of God teaches. It's kind of shocking, but that is not what it teaches. The Word of God teaches that parenting is built on a foundation of fear, not of love. And that's how God raises his children. Now, stay with me, okay? Don't jump off the the roller coaster just yet, okay? And notice that God wants to teach his children, but before he gets them into the promised land, he says, okay, I got a couple million people here in front of me, and this is a lot of responsibility, you know, and we would look at this and think, you know, okay, what's he going to do? Uh, maybe he'll start with some relational bonding, maybe a you know, family outing, maybe he'll do some crowd breakers, or maybe he'll some, play some games with the kids. What exactly is he going to do to establish his role as a parent with these, these people? No games. He starts with fear. Verse 1, observe these things in the land which you are crossing over to possess, 
that you may fear the Lord your God. So what is this fear thing? What's the fear of the Lord? I, I camped out on this. I'm telling you. I studied it and studied it because I didn't want it to say what it says. I wanted to steer God's word somewhere. And we do that. Do you ever do that? But when you study it, I mean, here's what it said. What is the fear of God? Fear means fear. That's profound. (laughs) It means to frighten. It means to be afraid. The problem is that we don't like that concept, so we want to redefine it. Let me be very clear here. The fear of the Lord is an awareness that you're in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God, and that he will hold you accountable for your motives, thoughts, words, and actions. The fear of the Lord is an attitude that, 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 that wants to, you know, it seeks right relationship with the one who does not change. It's wanting to be in a right place with God. And you might say, is that really biblical? Is that this whole fear thing? Is that really? You know, I, I appreciate, I know you're thinking that question. Really, Terry? Okay, I love the fact that you want to say, hey, show me some more scripture on that. Got some. Okay, Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Beginning. Anywhere else in the Bible? Yep. Proverbs 1 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That you're not going to tell me attitude is, is the antithesis of what we want in our children when it comes to the Lord or their, their submission to authority with you and me. Knowledge starts with fear. That's parenting 101. A, f- a fear of mom and dad, a fear of the Lord. Here's another one, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here's another one, Proverbs... I can keep going on this. Proverbs 15.33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. The fear of the Lord is where it starts. To actually be fearful of what will happen if I don't do what God wants me to do. That's where God starts with all of his children. God starts with something like this. Listen up, Terry. I'm God. You're not. Do what I say, Terry, or we're going to have a problem. That's where it starts. It's very direct. You know? And it's like that all through the Bible. I'm God. You're not. Do what I say, or we're going to have a problem. And I, I know one preacher I heard preach this topic, and he is this, you know, choose to sin, choose to suffer. That's the fear of the Lord. You say, well, is that really demonstrated? Yeah, and it's, it's all throughout the Bible. Um, you know, God wants Moses to take these two million people out of Egypt into the promised land, so what's he do? Does he invite them out to coffee? Say, hey, let's build some rapport. Let's, let's get to know each other. Let's hang out and establish a love relationship. No, that's not really how it starts. He, he's walking. Moses is minding his own shepherding business one day, walking along, and all of a sudden, here's this bush on fire, and it's not being burned up. <laughs> and it's scary. Exodus 3, 6. Moses is spooked here. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. For, how about the New Testament? Yep, New Testament, we got it there too. We got this guy named Saul, who later became Paul. He's uh, very, very good at killing Christians. He's doing his thing. And uh, the Lord's watching this. He says, hey, I got to get this guy on my team. One day, Paul, Saul is walking along the road to Damascus, and the Lord shows up like in a blinding light. <laughs> Acts 9, verse 6. So Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Astonished and trembling. Foundation of all training of children is fear. Now, I've had preachers tell me, fear just means Respect. Okay, and maybe you've heard that too. And I, if you study it out, that is down the list of a translation that's possible, that's, that's appropriate. But it's not appropriate in these particular instances. Um, you know, when you go in the dictionary, the most common translations come first. and then it says, Respect and awe are on the list. And that, that is how the word is used in some places. But in every scripture I've quoted to you so far, fear means afraid. It doesn't mean respect. Back, uh, that, by the way, that translation, that predominant understanding that the fear of the Lord means respect, that's a 20th century construct. Back in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, everyone understood that the fear of the Lord was just that, just the fear of the Lord. People understood that. Now, um, I've, 
I've never, kind of to help you understand the different distinction there, I've never spent all that much time around horses. Some of you have spent time around horses, um, and you're pretty comfortable. But I've had a couple of friends, and a couple of times I've been around horses up close, you know. And I, 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 I'm a little bit afraid of horses. Okay. Hey, listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man, okay. But I see those horses, and they just kind of stand there, and you don't know what they're thinking. Well, here's what you know. They got a lot of teeth hooked on to gigantic jaw muscles, and the rest of their body is muscles, and on the ends of them, they've got hoofs that are just waiting for the chance to boot you into tomorrow. And, uh, but I've watched my friends with them, and they'll walk up to them, and they're completely comfortable. But the thing is, as they approach those big, powerful animals, they're very respectful. You see their hand go on their neck, and they talk to them gently, and... Um, they're friendly and they're careful. You know, knowing the danger of their mature understanding is respect. Their mature understanding. But when it comes to horses, I'm like a little kid in terms of my maturity with horses. It's good for me to be afraid of them. I could be hurt by them because I don't understand them. Right? My thing, my thing is, you know isn't a respect thing, it's a fear thing. It's good that I have some fear when it comes to... And I, oh, here's another one. I've done some electrical wiring in my house. Okay? <laughs> that I learned with other people. And I'm perfectly comfortable now working on my home electrical wiring. I will work on live circuits. I, honey, would you do this for just a minute? Um, I'm, and I doesn't, it doesn't bother me to work on a live circuit. It doesn't bother me to get in there in the electrical panel and do things. I do those things now. I'm respectful but not afraid. But I've been doing that before, and I was doing it when I had little kids in the house. And I absolutely wanted my children afraid of electricity. But I'm comfortable myself respecting it. Do you get the distinction there? Um, it's good that my kids have some fear. And it's the same way in terms of our relationship with the Lord. If a child isn't afraid of falling into the water, he won't stay away from the edge of the pool. Right? So let me translate that. If a child is not fearful of the outcome of resisting their parents' authority, he won't be especially compelled to follow what they say. Every child needs to begin with a healthy fear of mom and dad. Everybody say healthy. 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 Good. Healthy. Healthy fear teaches them a genuine awareness that bad choices lead to painful consequences. And when they're old enough to choose wrong, they're old enough to learn. They're old enough to learn that bad choices lead to painful consequences. You, you ask the question, well, how big should the consequences be? The consequences should be bigger than the pleasure they get from resisting the authority. They have to go, that wasn't worth it. I remember the moment. I can't remember the reason or the exact spanking. But I can remember the moment that my father was spanking me, and every time before then, it had been effective. But then I, I remember a calculation in my mind. Hey, 30 seconds of pain, that's it? That's a walk, that's, that's a walk off home run. I didn't say a word to my dad. He somehow knew that, and I never got another spanking the rest of my life. Yet he continued to discipline me. The cost has to exceed the pleasure. Imagine a preschooler who just won't pick up their toys. Or you know, a third grader who talks back to mom. Or an eighth grader who lies about where they're going on a Friday night. Or an 18-year-old who will not respect mom and dad's curfew. Every time that your child comes up against your parental authority, it's a test of your parenting system. Do they know what will happen? And does it happen? That's, in the essence, a, a biblical philosophy of parenting and the foundation of fear. Now, just like building, um, a building is incomplete with just a foundation, child-rearing is incomplete with just fear alone, Right? Okay, so we can move on. Anybody here want to live in a house that's made out of just a foundation? Of course not. 
No, you know, it, it wouldn't be any good. In the same way, there has to be something built on that foundation. Okay, number two, fear leads to obedience. Fear leads to obedience. We've, we've, we've kind of implied that already. Back to our text, Deuteronomy 6, verses 2 and 3. God says, he, he says, I'm telling you about these requirements, verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. Keep it. I command you all the days of your life, be careful to observe it. Here's, here's what God's doing. Parameters are being set, fears being established, and the child's learning that the, what the parent's going to do if the rules are broken. And all through Scripture, we see God doing this. You know, he says, you know, do this. If you don't do this, here's what's going to happen. Frown. Right? But if you do this, here's, what is, here's what's going to happen. It's a blessing. It's really this good thing. Smile. Smiley face. Okay? That's how God parents his children. Fear, fear leads to obedience. And God, the Father, he repeats this pattern over and over and over again as he trains his kids. So, back to our story. Exodus 20, God's um, you know, freed the children of Israel from Egypt, and they've crossed the sea, miraculously, a couple million you know, men at least, and he's thinking, okay, I got you out of Egypt, got you across the Red Sea, and uh, we drowned all those Egyptians, and we're doing good now. Here's the thing, we're not going to go any further until we have a very clear understanding of how things are going to be. In fact, this is so important to you, we're going to get them right down in writing. Okay, here's an example of why getting things sometimes in writing. We've been doing it verbal till now, but that's not good. I want a clear understanding. So Moses goes up the mountain, paraphrasing, okay? Moses goes up the mountain. He's up there a long time. Some things start happening. This darkness comes up over the mountain. Now the people down below see that. They're a little bit afraid. It's kind of dark. It's kind of scary. Um, Finally, he comes down. Moses comes down. He's got these tablets with this God's top 10, okay? All right, and you know, it says, it says, God's not into this, God wants you to do that. You know, love me, no lying, no stealing. You know, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. The, the, the top 10. Now, if this was today, if this had happened today, and it was being done man's ways, what God would do is he would come down. He would say, hey, okay, um, hey, I got this list. Now, this is just my feelings about how we should start. So I just wanted to give you this list to get your impressions. Why don't you think about this, and we'll talk about this, because I want to know how you feel about it. We'll probably have some town halls, and maybe we'll get your feedback and public comments. And then we'll take those public comments, and I'll work on them for a while. I'll come back with a revised list, and then, and then I'll publish that. And if you like that, we're good. But if you don't, well, then there's an appeal process, and then you can appeal that. And right, that's what this would be if it was done today, according to man's ways of thinking. Um, now, but that's not what happens. Okay, so now, uh, verse uh, Exodus twenty verses eighteen. Here are the first words after the Ten Commandments come down the mountains. Now, all the people witnessed the thunderings. God's putting on a show. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet. I was doing this studying Thursday afternoon. I have a terrible attitude about lightning. I took my chair, and I, it was cold at my house, and I sat out under a covered porch and watched the light show. I don't know what that was. Weird, but anyway, I like it. But this was scary. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we'll hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Okay? When the people saw this, I skipped over it. They, they were trembling and stood afar off. They were afraid. Now, I want to ask you the question. What was God's purpose with the light show and the thunderings? If, if it wasn't fear, if it was respect, why wouldn't God have come down and said, hey, 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 don't be afraid. I just want you to be respectful. That's what the lightning was about. That's not, that's not, you know, God, God fear means fear. After God established these rules, he, he puts some fear into these people. God was sending them a, you don't mess with me kind of message. And here's the deal. Every parent needs to be able to send that message to their children. Every parent needs to be able to get through to a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old. That's the time to start. That's the time to start. And most parents wait way too long. You know, I'm dad or I'm mom. You're not. This is the program and you're on this program. 
You know, that's how God worked with his children. Even though God put some fear into them and, and um, he had some very clearly established rules, the children of Israel still rebelled. Okay? We see this. They go through this cycle after cycle. The rules are set up. Um, and the rules explain here are the consequences, and there's some, you know, things go well for a while, and then the children of Israel rebel, and God steps in with the consequences to the rebellion and explains the rules. And you can just study this through. We're not going to go through the whole Bible today, but it could, believe me, if you read through, you're going to see this time and time. They cycle, cycle, cycle. And that's what parenting kids is it goes around and around <laughs> and around. And if you're a parent, you could be thinking, well, that sounds. I don't know. That sounds kind of monotonous. Listen, if you're not up for 18 years of that, then don't sign up to be a parent because that's what parenting is. That's what parenting is. Children aren't evil. They need to be shaped. Well, maybe your children are evil. I don't know. That's parenting. Wisdom, knowledge, the foundation is fear, and fear leads to obedience. Parenting is kind of like a staring contest. You know? You know, there's this continual standoff against the wills. Dr. James Dobson says this. He says, when you encounter your child's will, win. And win decisively. It's really good advice. That's James Dobson. The Duke of Windsor came to the United States, and he was on a tour, and some you know who the Duke of Windsor, okay, and, he, and, and this is years ago, and he said, um, somebody said, hey, what have you noticed about American culture? The thing that impresses me most about Americans is the way the parents obey their children. <laughs> so today, what we're trying to do here is renew our minds um, with the word of God, and okay, foundation is fear, fear leads to obedience, I know you're thinking, this sounds so heavy, Terry. Can you, can you move on? Yeah, okay, here comes some good stuff. Number three, obedience leads to blessing. Obedience leads to blessing. That's wonderful. It really does. You know, when we as children start to do the things that he asks um, us to do, then things really do start to get better, and things really can go better for us. Obedience leads to blessing. Deuteronomy 6. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes, his commandments that I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a picture of prosperity and blessing there, you know. You know, how do we, do we, do we, do we get it that when God says don't, he's actually saying don't hurt yourself, you know, we have a loving Heavenly Father whose rules are set out really to bless us. And, and we're better off, we're happier, we're more fulfilled, and there's more joy when we follow his ways. There's blessing at the end of every obedience. And there's consequence at the end of, of and, and heartache at the end, at end of every disobedience. And our kids need to know that principle. Scripture, I think, that says this. You know, maybe the best passage, God's calling his people to repent in, in, in Isaiah 1. And he goes on, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're like red crimson, they shall be wool. There's that opportunity for forgiveness. And he lays it down. He says, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. How much more clear can that be? Obedience leads to blessing, and God's blessing is a really, really wonderful thing. I know you're saying, okay, fear, obedience, blessing, where's love? Glad you asked. It's here now. We got to it. Blessing leads to love. Blessing leads to love. Here's the thing, though. I'm going to say this to you. If you get this out of order, if you get these steps out of order, you will mess things up. You'll be doing it your improvement over God's way. I say that tongue-in-cheek. You won't be doing it God's way, you know. When your compassion as a parent overcomes your conviction about what's right and wrong, you're injuring your child. You think you're loving them, but you're not. If, if you think that love is the highest value and not truth and righteousness, then you're injuring your child. Blessing leads to a growing love relationship. Okay, Deuteronomy 6. It brings out the love part. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God and the Lord is one. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You might read that as a commandment. I think it's a prophetic 
I think it's saying this will be the result. This will be the result. It's, there's a cause and effect process there. Take a look at that cycle. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. I think over time, a child begins to learn, you know, hey, you know what? Mom and dad really weren't that terrible after all. They actually did know some things. And uh, some of those things actually were... And and our our problem as parents is we want that too soon, you know? That's a problem. If you want it too soon, you know, I I can't wait for that love relationship with a 17-year-old. I have to have it with a four-year-old. And a four-year-old is not capable of loving you that way. You've got a big problem on your hands. It's a tragedy when you see parents try to meet their own needs, their, their insecurity or their love or their affirmation needs from their children. And if you're using your children to meet your emotional needs, you are harming your child. Because you're not establishing an understanding with them that, you know, how to live under the authority of Almighty God. The child who will not live under the authority of their parents will not live under the authority of God. In fact, the whole book of Judges, we won't read that all now, um, basically has one message. When, when, when children are not told of the works of God, they, they, they lose their fear of God, and then every man does what is right in his own eyes. Whole book of Judges. Blessing leads to a growing love relationship, and we read this principle, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This doesn't say that fear is unimportant or wrong. It can't. It's one of the things God says is important to do. It just says that as the relationship grows, as, as, as your child grows, you know, from a little kid relationship to an adult relationship, then as an adult, that love relationship, that perfect love casts out all fear. This basically is saying that that the only way fear and love can coexist is when the love is imperfect. And as a follower of Christ, I'm going to tell you that, you know, this is my relationship with God today. I, I, I I don't have a fear relationship with God. I'm not, you know... But I, I have a love relationship with God. I mean, he loves me, I love him, and I'm experiencing that. But I'm grateful that at the foundation of my relationship with God is a healthy fear. You know, I have a very, very strong sense that if I go out of church here today and I decide to, 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 to act like an idiot and leave my wife and go off and live like a fool, I, I'm glad I have a foundation with God that keeps me from doing that. scripture says here's a couple of quick scriptures for you Hebrews 10 31 it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling those are two I'm not going to teach on today but those are both good ones for you to research on the subject if you're trying to build your relationship with God only on the love thing I encourage you to take that thing back down to its foundation recognize that God is not your buddy. God is, God is not the man upstairs. God is the holy and righteous almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. And we worship you, Lord. And although he gracefully extends his love to you and me, we ought to tread very, very lightly on his grace. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear leads to obedience. Obedience leads to blessing. Blessing leads to a growing love relationship. Love your children enough to teach them right from wrong. You know, they're going to thank you for that. They will thank you for that. Their future spouse will thank you. Your grandchildren will thank you. Okay. Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. My son, do not regard lightly the disciples, the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We're almost done here. Hang on, okay? You're doing great. You're doing great. God's way of raising kids. Here's four quick bullet points. Number one, commit to God's way. Just commit to it. Maybe it starts with some humility before the Lord. You can say, you know what, Lord? I have let a little bit too much seep into me from the world about this. Um, you're early. Thanks for that. But that was, I know you're trying to be discreet, but you're, you're, that's okay. Have a seat. <laughs> sit down. Go ahead and sit down there. 
you know, if... <laughs> I'm sorry, did I embarrass you? Forgive me. <laughs> Alec, you're a good man. Um, <laughs> I got a couple more pages, though, so... Um, but they're fast pages. Um, so just commit to it. Maybe you look, you've heard these things, you thought, yeah, okay, the Holy Spirit is saying something to you, saying, you know, Terry, you've been a little bit out of balance here. Get this back into balance. Get these things back into balance. The first thing is to be a little humility and say, Lord, okay, I'm sorry. I mean well, help me out here. But maybe that's where you start. But commit to God's way. And I just want to encourage you all, it's never too late. It really is never too late. Commit to God's way. Then two, commit to consistent, age-appropriate discipline. Age-appropriate discipline. That's how important this is. Here's some quick, quick, quick age-appropriate discipline for you. For our words, you probably hear this preached from different places. This is, this is not me. It's not new. Number one, for our words, you probably can guess number one, the rod. Okay, the rod is for ages roughly two to eight. Okay? And this is only for rebellion. This is only for willful disobedience. This is never for mistakes. It's never for immaturity. This is for in your face, I am not doing what you say. Okay? And when that opportunity comes, don't miss it. Not because you look forward to the spanking, but it's an opportunity to shape something in your child, and the Lord has led you to that place Honor the Lord's decision to let you have that influence in his child's life and shape that, lovingly shape that. Take that opportunity. Shape it the very first time with the minimum required, the rod. You say, well, that isn't in the Bible, is it? Yeah, it is. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. I'm telling you, 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 you know, I... I I don't have a whole lot of um, energy still for people who will occasionally come to me and say, I just don't know about this whole thing about spanking. Okay, well, read your Bible. Take your Cosmopolitan magazine and burn it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what your mom says. It doesn't matter what your great aunt says about raising kids. Here's another one, Proverbs thirteen twenty four, written by the smartest man who ever lived. King Solomon, he that spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him properly. I don't hate my kids. Don't tell me I hate your kids. I'm not telling you you hate your kids. The word is just the word. Okay, number two, rod, one, the rod. Number two, reproof. This is for ages six to 12. You know, Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You ask, what's reproof? It's this strong in your face rebuke. This is deep voice, intense, <laughs> fear-producing. Don't do that again or else. <laughs> can't look at you people and give you that look. Where's my, I don't have any of my kids here. I can't do it. And here's the thing. Don't threaten your children. Promise them. They know the difference. Threats are empty. And they say, do what you want because I'm not going to do anything about it. Don't threaten your kids. If you tell them or else, you got to deliver the or else. You know, um, it's a fear-producing, and it needs to be because you're protecting the child. Remember that child that that that, that won't stay away from the edge of the boat. They're just not afraid um, of the water. But I don't want my kids to be afraid. Well, then you don't want to raise your children God's way. Okay, reproof number three. Removal of freedom. This is for ages 10 and up. Because at some point, you start letting the rope out, right? They start getting more freedom. And if you've been raising them God's ways, you know, this may not be all that difficult for you. But if you've been pampering your preschooler, this step will be hell on earth for you. Because it's going to be a battle, the removal of freedom. No, you're not going out tonight. No, you know, you're not going to go over there. No, we're not going to do that. No, you're going to go to school. You're going to come home, you're going to go to your room, you're going to study, you're going to go to bed, you're going to get up, you're going to go to school, because that's all you can handle right now. Right? (laughs) Good choice. 
<laughs> out of the mouth of babes. Um, well, well, how long? How long do I keep them on restriction? For as long as is necessary. Till they're a junior in college or something. <laughs> Here's the thing, parents. You have to win. You have to win. It's essential. If you don't win, your children are going to lose. Just like God, you're, you're a loving parent if you exercise your compassion. Here's how you exercise compassion. By holding your conviction to teach them the difference between right and wrong. Okay, so as we do, as we're committed to age-appropriate discipline, the fourth R is responsibility. Rod, reproof, removal of freedom, responsibility. A thousand years ago, people ages 15, 16, 17, 18, they were married and they had children. They had responsibilities. Okay, today's typical 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old, typical, I don't mean to, I guess I'm painting with a very broad brush. They believe that their biggest responsibilities are to have fun and to test mom and dad's limits. You know, have a good time. How do I cope with that? Put them to work. Give them some things to do. Have them get a job. Lay it on. Work around the house. You know, if I do that, I'm not going to become very popular. Well, parenting is not a popularity thing. It isn't. Put them to work. Fill their days with responsibility. Okay. Commit to God's ways. Consistent age-appropriate discipline. Number three, consequences allowed, not prevented. Consequences allowed, not prevented. Nothing undermines God's parenting plan like protecting your children from the consequences of their sinful choice. It's a really bad decision. God, God never does that in your life. Do you realize that? He never steps in and, and saves you from the consequences of your... You know, and, and you might say, well, that, that, I know. And that's kind of hurt me. Yeah. It's hurt me too when that's happened in my life. The thing is that we have a God who says, you will reap what you sow. And let them learn that early. Don't let your compassion overcome your convictions because it pays off. Um, I'm going to... I'll tell you a quick story. Here's a success story. And I don't normally tell success stories. I usually tell you about my failures. But here's a success story. My son, Ben, whom I have permission to tell this story. Ben's a good kid. He's not a kid. He's in his middle 30s. He's a structural engineer. Um, but he, uh, he left our home. PK, preacher's kid, right? A lot of pressure on preacher's kid. There's probably several closet preacher kids right in here. And you're keeping that a secret. But whatever. So Ben leaves home, applies, and he goes to the University of Washington. He wants to become an engineer, a civil engineer, structural engineer. And um, the way it works up there, I think it's changed, but the way it works up there is you do your first two years, and then you apply to, for the second two to get into the College of Engineering. Okay, You have to apply. You might already be a student at the UW, but you don't get into the College of Engineering unless you apply and they accept you. So there's, what, 45,000 students at University of Washington. They allow 100 a year into their civil engineering program. Pretty hard to get in. Well, Ben is a smart kid, and he got away from home, and he's living in a house um, with um, a bunch of Christian guys up there. And we visited him a lot. And his first semester was his first time out from really the careful superintending of mom and dad. And I think he, there were things going on in that first semester that we didn't know about, and I'm thankful that we didn't know at the time. <laughs> Significant problems with drinking. His grades suffered. He was carrying on like he shouldn't have, and he got grades that were C's and B's, which are fine unless you want to get into the College of Engineering. And uh, he figured that out after one semester and got himself squared away and he started doing really well. So he goes through those first two years and now he's applying for the College of Engineering and in goes his transcript with his, his grades. Thank you, but no thank you. This was his dream. He was crestfallen. He, uncontrollable crying with his mother and me. They said no. My... And... He was looking down both barrels of the consequences of one semester of absolutely letting go. And we had never taught him that, oh, mommy and daddy will take care of this for you. When it's appropriate to protect them from harm, we would do that, but not from consequences. There's a distinction there for us. Well, what do you want to do, Ben? Do you want to own your failure and see where this goes or give up 
no, I, I got to figure out what to do. So we sat with him, and we said, okay, how did this happen? Well, I was immature as a, a freshman, and then I got squared away, but I, I was way immature. Okay, so we talked about somebody somewhere makes a decision. Long story short is he wrote a letter, made an appointment with the, the dean of that school in the summertime, went and made an appointment, went and made an appeal. He made the appeal. Lisa and I drove him up there. We sat in the car and prayed for two and a half hours while he was inside talking. He basically said, hey, I was a fool. I was immature. But, and then he creates this chart for them. Here are my grades the first semester. After I got squared away, look what happened. This is the me, not this. I've learned from my mistake. Please reconsider. I think she decided on the spot to let him in, but she didn't tell him. <laughs> two months went by before he finally heard you've been admitted to the School of Engineering. Mom and Dad were so relieved. The tragic thing, though, is um, you see a kid who's 8 or 9 or 10, and um, they should be experiencing some serious consequences for something that's going on. And, you know, Mom and Dad go over, and they talk to the teacher, and now somehow he's passed. Or... They go to the school and they talk, or they go to the store and they talk to the manager and, you know, the child stole something and instead of getting trouble for that, mom and dad have fixed things for them and there are no consequences. It's a bad plan. If you think the consequences are bad, if they're ugly and painful for an eight-year-old, wait till you see what they are for an 18-year-old. And you're going to, you know, they're trying to launch them into adult life and they've never learned the consequence of rebellion. Okay, consequences allowed, not prevented. And here is where this one fits. Communicated, number four, communicated unconditional love. Here it is, unconditional, and you communicate it. The fear thing is the, in, in the family is the program. Love is the atmosphere of the home. Every child needs to know, growing up in an atmosphere, you know what? You can fail here. You can blow it. But no matter what, I'm going to love you. You'll still be loved here. You're going to feel some consequences from your choices, your mistakes. But our relationship is never, ever going to change. I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I'm just, there's just, that's never going to change. I, I will love you no matter what you decide. I love you. Unconditional love. Okay, we're wrapping up here. Here are... Zero tolerance in a Christian home. This is your cue. (laughs) I just thought the first embarrassment wasn't enough. (laughs) I'm not really sorry. (laughs) I know, he's going to play that Toccata and Fugue thing, you know, that scary music. Okay, never mind. Zero tolerance. In a Christian home, we have zero tolerance, zero tolerance for these things in a Christian home. Number one, zero tolerance for discipline and anger. Zero tolerance. Godly parents never, ever discipline and anger. And if they do, you, you go to your children and say, you know what? I, I'm sorry the way I did that with you. I had way too much. That was, that was ungodly of me. Forgive me for being so harsh. You, you correct that. James 1.20 says this, For man's anger does not bring about the changes that God desires, the righteous life that God desires. The worst thing you could do is hear this message and go out of here and start looking for the stars to put on your shoulders. You're not General Patton. That's not God's heart. If, you're, if your heart doesn't break for your children when they're going through these hard lessons for them, you know, you're not going to be able to deliver what I'm talking about here. Zero tolerance for discipline and anger. Um, Zero tolerance for physical injury of any kind. Just don't do it. Zero tolerance for, for comments that belittle or shame. Now, I imagine for some of us here, you still have ringing in your ears words that were said to you that should never have been said to you. Resist them they're not true about you, they're not the Lord's heart about you, don't do that to your kids. Don't do that to your kids. And last one, zero tolerance for actions that do not affirm or build up your kids. Unconditional love is the atmosphere in every Christian home. Fear, obedience, blessing, love. Put your kids in that program. That's how to raise kids God's way. Let's pray.
Lord, um, it's a holy endeavor for us to have our, ch- our hands on your children. We think they're ours, and you made a choice. You made a choice. Well, you made these choices about letting us parent your kids, and you give us opportunities to influence other children that we come across. Lord, we just want to do this your way. Forgive us, Lord, when we've allowed the philosophies of man to seep into our ways. There is an absolute balance and an order to how you want us to handle this. The greatest of these is love. Help us, Lord, to know how to build a foundation upon which love really works. Love doesn't mean that we protect them from consequences. Love doesn't mean that we allow them to not learn right from wrong. Love doesn't mean that we embrace or allow rebellion. Love means that we shape the things out of them that are going to hurt them tomorrow. And we do it, Lord. That's how we do it with love. Fill us with life and encourage us, Lord, this day. As you uh, have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, um, I had this thought before, before the sermon because I knew it was coming but just how obsessive I am about my kids. I obsess about them. And I, I look at them and I see their potential and I see their human nature. I see their stumbles and their falls. I see their brokenness. I also see their desires of their hearts. And the thing is, Pastor Terry said it at the beginning, as much as you love your kids, God loves them more. As obsessive I am about my kids, he's more obsessive about them. And so before we go any further, I don't want us to rush past this because I'm a father who has made mistakes. He puts up zero tolerance for And some of those things, I had to say, well, God, well, I messed up there. But he said, it's not too late to commit, right? So as parents, as grandparents, as maybe a a single person who doesn't even have kids yet, this might be a place where we say, I commit, I commit to God's ways because they're higher. His love is greater and he's more obsessed about my kids than I am. So I just want to allow a spot there for you to make that decision between you and the Lord. Now I want to say as as obsessed as he is about your kids he's that much obsessed about you he's that much obsessed about me (laughs) he sees my potential he sees your potential he knows where you failed he knows where you need loved, where you need picked up. He knows where you need to go through some consequences. But everything he does is perfect and right. Everything God does is good. And he does it out of his obsessive love for you. And he made it easy, like Pastor Terry said. He made the way easy. So for those who are trying to find a way home who you hear the part about God being angry and I need to be afraid but here's the part you need to stand on is he sent his son because he so loved the world just as that little child said this morning because he was obsessed about you and if you don't know Jesus And you want to have a relationship with God that culminates to that place of respect and love. 
All you have to do is ask him into your heart. It's easy. You say, Jesus, I need you. I believe you died for my sins and you made a way for me and you love me. So if that's you today, I want to agree with you. I just want you to lift up your hands and look up here and let me agree with you. If you want to ask Jesus into your life this morning, if you want to receive eternal life, don't let me miss anybody in the room. All right. Well, Lord, we bow and we give you praise. We give you thanks for your love.